few verses. I want to really zero in this morning on really verse 78 and 79 of Luke chapter 1. Although I'm going to back up to verse 67 uh, because we have this incredible prophecy that's given to us by Zacharias. And Zacharias was the father of John the Baptist. And if you remember the story, um, he went into, he was a priest, and so he went into the temple to offer incense, offer a sacrifice to the Lord. And while he was there, the angel appeared to him and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son who would be the forerunner of the Messiah. Uh, referring to John the Baptist. Now, th this was an old couple, and they had, had not had any children, so it was really a miracle um, that this was going to take place. And, and, of course, he doubted. And if you remember what happened to him, he doubted, and then what happened? He wasn't able to speak. He wasn't able to speak from that time forward until the time uh, that that. Uh, John, John the Baptist, was born and was to be circumcised. He wasn't able to speak. And as I like to say, there's probably a lot of peace in that household for that period of time. That was at least nine months, if not longer. So the thing is, it is he had a lot of time to ponder what was going on and had a lot of time to probably really to really pray and, and of course, pray in his mind because he couldn't speak. But... Uh, uh, I think when you when you encounter these type of physical issues, they either they either call us to a place where we really begin to seek the Lord and really begin to ask the Lord what it is that He may have for us, or I have met some people that they become very um, uh, upset over these physical problems and they, and they don't press into the things of God, and I think. I think Zechariah really pressed into his relationship with God during this time of silence. Because when he opens his mouth, um, it says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 67 is where I'm reading. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Now, in verse 76, he's talking about his son, John the Baptist. And he says, and you, child, will be called the son or called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God which, with which the sunrise, or you may have in the New King James Version, the day spring, 
uh, but the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we look at your word, as we consider that which you have for us this morning as we consider this incredible prophecy given to us by Zechariah. And Lord, help us just to glean this little piece that we are looking at this morning, uh, that it might even enrich our week as we are going into this last week uh, and ending uh, with Christmas Day. So we pray, Lord, that your spirit would be upon us, that we may have ears to hear that which you would say to each of us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. As I was reading through this prophecy, I thought, wow, we could take a long time, long time to really unpack all that Zechariah is saying here and all the Old Testament references that he's referring to here. And I think, I think it would be at least a month that, that we would probably go through to really comprehend all that he is prophesying. And I would encourage you even this week to read through this again. Uh, just an incredible prophecy uh, that was that Zechariah was given. This, of course, was given um, a few months before the birth of Jesus, uh, in anticipation of his birth. And so, w to pick this up, he, he talks about how part of John's mission is to give his people, verse thirty-seven the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Now, in, in the New King James, it'll also say by the remission of sins. Um, it, that essentially means the same thing. Uh, forgiveness actually might be a better translation as I looked it up. And the, the ESV, uh, Christian, ESV uh, Christian Standard Bible, and the New American Standard all say forgiven. They translate this Greek word forgiven as opposed to remission. Um, and I think it's a, it's a good translation, although th the only thing about remission, uh, remission really does talk about forgiveness, it, but we just don't use that word much anymore. At least I don't. Uh, may, maybe you do and you're not willing to talk about it. No, I'm kidding, but anyway. Um, but, but nonetheless, it's this idea of forgiveness and this idea, and, and, and were, were the people of Israel, they, were they forgiven before this time, yes, they were. Those who followed the Lord and confessed their sins and, and went through the sacrificial system, yes, they were forgiven of their sins. But they understood that the ultimate act of our redemption, whereby we would be redeemed, follow what I'm saying here? God's act of redemption, God's act of purchasing you and I Therefore, forgiving us happened at the coming of the Messiah and ultimately when the Messiah went to the cross to pay for our sins. Therefore, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And even really before that, uh, if we confess him as Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And, and so 
this, this act of redemption that enables us to be forgiven. That's a real, that's a, uh, I think, an important distinction that we need to, to comprehend and wrap our he- heads around. Um, and and that, that God came and did this because of his tender mercies, which is actually an Old Testament reference that I'm, I'm not going to take the time to, to chase down this morning. But, uh, but nonetheless, it's, it's because of his tender mercies that he has, or as the New King James says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people uh, and the remission of sins through the tender mercy of our God. Jesus told us that John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets, if you remember this. It's in the Gospels. Again, due to time, I'm not going to look at this that this morning either. But nonetheless, what we have to understand is here is Zechariah, who is well-steeped in the Old Testament scriptures, or the Hebrew scriptures, as they are referred to, and, and understood that, that, number one, God is a merciful God. That God is a merciful God. And there are, there are times that... that I think we forget that. That he, not only is he merciful, but he has tender mercies toward us. He's incredibly kind. He's incredibly compassionate. He's incredibly loving. And as I think about this, aren't you glad? I'm glad. But aren't you glad that God is not like you? I mean, think about it. Aren't you glad that God is truly the holy other? The one who truly loves us, the one who truly uh, cares for us, the one who looks at us with a sense of tender mercy. This idea of mercy, too, is that, that, that uh, it, it goes back, and of course this is from a Greek text, but it goes back to what the Hebrew scriptures talked about when it talked about mercy. It talked about the hased of God. H-E-S-E-D, if you want to spell it in English. Make sure you write it in italics, though. But anyway, um, I'm kidding. But the hased, and I've shared this with you before, is that, that love of God that you cannot run away from. It is that love of God that you cannot turn off. It is that love of God that you cannot avoid, that you can't hide from. That It is the love of God that pursues you and pursues you and pursues you and pursues you. It's full. It's complete. And, dare I say, it's determined. How God is determined to love each one of you. Now, I don't understand that, okay? Because <laughs> I know me, all right? I'm trying to take you out of the equation here. Well, no, I actually it's more fun when I do, but or keep you in it, but... God is determined to be merciful to you. And he expresses that how. I'll read it in the New American Standard, then I'll read it again in the New King James. With which the sunrise from on high will visit us. With which the sunrise from on high will visit us. New King James says, with which the day spring from on high has visited us or will visit us. 
or shall visit us, depending on the manuscript you take that from. Notice it's capitalized. But that's what the trans how the translators have written this word. Okay? There's no capital letters in the Greek. But what is this talking about? I remember during the pen the first pandemic. What are we in the fourth now anyway? Or on the edge of the anyway. Um everybody was under quarantine and it was Easter. And so I went out before the sun came up, and I watched the sun come up. And recognizing that the sun that comes up every morning, every morning, including this morning, and I watched it for a while, although I couldn't see much of anything because of the clouds. But the sun that comes up every morning is God's reminder of the sunrise who will come and visit us. You're like, so, okay, I'll get, I'm going to explain that in a minute, but I want to plant that in your head, and so I'll say it to you in the New King James. The sun that comes up every morning is like the day spring that reminds us. It reminds us of the day spring who has come to visit us. This word day spring or sunrise, it literally could be translated the dawn. It is also, it's a very full word, by the way. It could also be translated the east, as in the direction east. Had to make sure I knew where I was going here. The direction of east. Um, or it literally means the rising. Something coming up. Translated day spring, translated dawn, translated sunrise. Um, it's used in Matthew chapter 2 to refer to the wise men who came out of the east. Same Greek word, it's called Anatole. If you know much about Turkey, the region of Anatolia, it could also refer to that. And it's a reference to our Messiah, Jesus Christ, which I will explain to you in just a minute. Um, but with, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine on those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. They sit in darkness in the shadow of death. Uh, it's reminiscent of several different passages. One of them, Isaiah chapter 11. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. It's a, it's a uh, messianic prophecy. In Isaiah 11. But not only did they sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, but they, the, the, the sunrise comes, the day spring comes to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet, our path, our way of living, how we go about our daily lives to guide it in the way of peace. And so I have to ask this question right off the bat. Are you living a peaceful existence today? Are you living a peaceful existence? And if you are, haven't, or if you're not, then perhaps you haven't in, tapped into the grace that is given to each of us because the sunrise has come to visit us. The day spring has come to visit us. 
the dawn has come. We've sat in darkness long enough. I think about this because when this was given, there's that what's called the intertestament period, the period of time between the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're also known as the silent years, but they were anything but silent. There was a lot of writing that went on during, during that time. But there was that, that time of, of waiting, that time of expectation. Uh, a lot happened in Israel's history during this time, and they were just waiting for the Messiah to come and to be their deliverer. And he did come, and he did deliver them, but he did not do it in a way that they expected. Therefore, they rejected him. But, and I, and, and we need to understand that we as the church can fall to the, to the same mistake that Israel made. Paul is really clear about this in Romans 11. Say, don't, don't, don't think of yourself so haughty that the natural branches were broken off and you were grafted in because God can, can break you off as well and, and re-graft in the natural branches. They had the Messiah right in front of them in, in, in flesh and blood and they missed it. Some of them missed it because they didn't see it. Others, the Gospels tell us, they knew who he was. They knew who the Messiah was. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. They just didn't want to follow him. And it is just like God to not do things in the way that we expect him to. I think we really need to hold these things in, in, in careful consideration. It really is like God to not do things the way we expect him to. And I'm speaking in reference to his coming again. And what will that look like? And it, it, the more I read the scriptures about it, it do, it's not clear cut and dried, folks. But we have the dawning who comes to those of us who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To me, that describes 2021. We sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. But he has come to guide our way of life into the way of peace. Because we're trying, I think, I think too often we try to find peace on our own terms, in our own way. And he has come to guide our life in the way of peace. Now, this term, day spring, sunrise, I'm going to use the Greek, Anatole, is used for the Messiah in the Septuagint. Remember, what is the Septuagint? It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. Okay? So it is, it is used to describe the Messiah in a few places. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, I'm going to read it to you from the Septuagint. It said, look, the days are coming, says the Lord, and I will raise up 
a righteous rising. I will raise up a righteous rising. That's the Greek word anatole, rising. I will raise up a righteous rising for David, and a king will reign and understand and perform justice and righteousness in the land. The righteous rising will come, and he will be the king who will perform justice and, and righteousness in the land. What's interesting is that in the New King James, I don't know if you, any of you turned there, it doesn't say the righteous rising of David. It says the branch. It's the branch, which refers to a righteous uh, sprout or a shoot that comes up. But for whatever reason, and I have no idea why, so please don't ask. Um, I don't even know if there's, uh, there's a way to really to find out, but, but those, when they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, they replaced this, this Hebrew word that could be translated branch into this Greek word that's translated rising. And the Septuagint was the Bible that Jesus used, primarily. In Zechariah, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, it says in the Septuagint again, Hear then, Joshua, the great priest, you and the ones close to you, the ones seated before your face, since they are wonder-observing men. I find that to be interesting. Think about the wise, yeah, you caught that, the, the wise men. They are wonder-observing men. These, I, these guys fascinate me because they're staring out into space, looking at stars, and God uses that as a sign for them to make this incredibly long journey to come and see the Messiah. They weren't even Jews. They were Gentiles. Did they have a Jewish influence? I think they did, personally. That's just my speculation, and your mileage may vary, because they were from the land of the area of Babylon where the tribe of Judah went into captivity. They are wonder-observing men. Then it says, because behold, I bring out my servant, Anatole. That's what it says in the English translation of the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Follow me? Okay? It uses the word Anatole as a proper noun, describing the... Uh, Zechariah 3 is messianic, and it's describing the, that... that uh, speaking to Joshua... And, and, and the one city before your face, that behold, I bring out my servant, the Messiah. See, in, in rabbinical Judaism that took place in the synagogues, which happened after the temple had been destroyed, and they had returned back to the land to rebuild the temple. Actually, the synagogue movement really started in, in Babylon, okay? They understood this verse from Zechariah, and Zechariah was a prophet that wrote after Israel or Judah returned to the land from their captivity. I think everybody's still with me, all right? Zechariah was known as a post-exilic or post-exile prophet, and so in the synagogues, they understood that this was a messianic reference.
So they replace this word branch with this word Anatole because it was how they designated the Messiah. Um, Zechariah 6.12, it says, and, and again, out of the Septuagint, and you will say to him, this is what the Lord Almighty says, behold, a man east is his name. That's the English translation. It's the word Anatole again. This time they're calling him east. East is his name, and from beneath him he will rise up and build the house of the Lord. That is, that is, that that has messianic implications all over it. That he will come to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guard our feet into the way of peace. What's interesting is that the first recorded words of Yahweh, of God, in the Bible are what? Let there be light. It's in Genesis chapter 1, I think it's verse 4. The first thing he did, first thing he spoke into existence was light. And, and light is this incredible metaphor for illuminating, giving us understanding. Um, and, 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 and taking us out of a place of darkness and bringing us into a place whereby now we understand light. I wasn't really planning on turning here, but John 1. This is an incredible book and this first passage which we won't take the time to go out to go, go over completely is, 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 is one of the, the benchmark New Testament expressions that declare the deity of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 says in the beginning, verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, that's very clear. The word was with and the word was God. With God and was God. Is that a paradox? Of course it is. But is it very, to me, is it very clear? Is it very plain? Is it a declaration that the word was God? That is, the word is God? The word was with God and is God? I think it is. And if you skip down, just for fun, I love to do this, in verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it tells us that the word is Jesus. All right? I, I think that's real clear here in, in just these few verses. Um, all things were made through him, which if he created all things, that means he has to be what? God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life. This is where I want to land. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or apprehend it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. 
We read about his dad's prophecy just a minute ago. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Light that gives light to light that gives light to every person who comes into the world. Now, they're all running around in my head right now, but I, I've heard so many stories over the years of people telling me about them getting up in the middle of the night and it's dark in their house and something is left out that normally shouldn't be left out, but it is left out and they step on it, they trip over it, that you, you, you know, it's, it's hard to navigate even your own home in the dark. Well, I think it can be, right? And, and to navigate life in the darkness with no ability to see, with no ability to discern, And when we're in darkness, we're be, we become very reactive. Because we can't see. So we feel like we're going to fall. Or we feel like we're going to step on something that we don't want to step on. Or we're going to run into something. I've even done that with the lights on, half asleep. I run into walls. But anyway, I, I guess it's age. But, but the thing is, is that, that the life, back to verse 4, in Jesus, what the word, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. So when Jesus comes and gives you life, eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord, by receiving him as Lord and Savior, when he comes and he gives you life, one of the... Uh, Additional bonuses, I guess that's, way to, that's a good way to put it. One of the additional bonuses of him giving you eternal life is that he also gives you the ability to have light and to be able to see. And sometimes we're really, we really do well with that light. But other times we, we, I think we, we struggle with with activating that light. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, which one of you will light a lamp and then stick it under a bed? Now, have you ever done that? I don't recommend it unless it's battery operated. Okay. Could end up with a fire. But do, and you know, I remember, I remember one time we had a power failure on a Saturday. Worst, worst time in my week to have a power failure. All right. And it, it lasted all, almost all night long. Uh, and it started before the sun went down. And uh, I, so it was funny because we woke up in the middle of the night because the light came on. Well, the lights came on, right? Uh, so, okay, power's back. Um, but during that time, we, we had these little, Mary bought these little lanterns that are battery operated. And I'm kind of like, why'd you buy those stupid things for? And then, of course, I was grateful as anything that we had them. Because, you know, we didn't have to walk around so much in the dark. But it was really unsettling. 
Because it's like, when's the power coming back? You know, um, or, you know, where am I going? You know, and we basically just went to bed. As soon as the sun went down, man, we just went to bed, you know. And, um, but, but we felt very ill-eased, if you will. We felt very, uh, very um, outside of our element in our own home. And, and it's the same way when, w- I think at times that, that when we are not walking in God's Holy Spirit, but, but we light the lamp and we stick it under the bed and then we try to navigate our lives. Now, if it's under the bed, there's still a little bit of light coming out. So you see a little bit. But, but we, we, we still, we, we try to navigate our lives in such a way without the ability and the advantage, the advantage of having the full light on in your house. He came to give us life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not apprehend or comprehend it. John Three tells us where Jesus is speaking and he says that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. Do you ever find yourself in a time that you love the darkness more than light? And maybe just a little bit of a a way that maybe doesn't feel so harmless. But goodness knows you wouldn't want to tell anybody here about it, right? Because there is that attraction. There, there, we still drag around the old person. Paul referred to it as the old man. And, and he's come that we would have life and life more abundantly. That abundant life is really, I think, talked about here in the first chapter of the book of John as that light. Jesus says also in the book of uh, John chapter 8, he says, he spoke to them. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light of life. See, he flipped around John 1, 1 here in John 8. Or excuse me, John 1, 4. He flips that around because they're, they're, one comes without, one does not come without the other. Does that make sense? One doesn't come without the other. Now, are we, are we stewards of that light? Yes, we are. I think I've, I've hammered on that more than I even wanted to. But the psalmist tells us also in Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet. It is a light to my path. And so if he is to guide our feet in the way of peace, it has to be something that we are willing to submit to. Which is really easy when things are going well. And it is really difficult Sometimes when things are not going so well. I remember I've talked with a friend of mine, he pastors down in southern Oregon, and 
he was really upset about something. I, I can't really remember what it was. I don't really want to get into that anyway. But, but, but he, I mean, he told me, he says, you know, I'm going to do what, I what the Bible is saying for me to do here. And I'm going to live like the Bible has told me to live here. I don't want to. I appreciated his honesty, by the way. Because I don't want to. He says, but do I believe this stuff or not? Do I believe it or not? And I just thought, wow. It was, it was really a, it was a great conversation because it was challenging for me and enlightening for me that reminded me that obedience doesn't just happen when things are good. That if we have life, then we have a change of who we are as people. And when we are not walking in the light, we are living contrary to the life that has been given us. Which really does make it even all the more, more miserable, doesn't it? Of course, <laughs> of course it does. Because you know you're not living right. And that becomes even a greater challenge. He has come to guide our feet into the way of peace. He's given us life. He is the light of the world who gives us his light and the light of life. And he does so so that he can guide our way, our feet, into the way of peace. Notice it says into as a preposition, into the way of peace. It's something that we enter into. And I don't know about you. I'm going to close with this one more because I just want to let you think about this. I don't know about you, but I can use all the peace I can get. Amen? <laughs> I can use all the peace I can get. So I want to tap into that light that the giver of my eternal life has given to me. And I want to encourage each of you to do the same.